in the ever-deepening realization of the Dhamma, there are practices that we need to come back to over and over again, no matter how long we've been practicing or especially if this is a kind of beginning part of our practice. For me, the practices that I've had to come back to are very basic, and one of them is patience. Just being patient with myself, being patient with the conditions, being patient with people around me. And it's really important to have this reminder even though, you know, we think, well, maybe I should be hearing about karma or dependent origination, but really to come back to the simplicity of the basics of practice really helps us to continue. I became more interested in the practice of patience when I heard the uh, phrase, patience is, is the supreme virtue one of the quotes of the Buddha, of course. And it's not a quality that gets as much attention as compassion or wisdom. So I like to bring it into the foreground and and make sure that we're really checking on this part of our hearts, of our lives. So this talk is about bringing uh, patience into the foreground of our practice. If you look at your own practice, I'm sure that you'll be able to agree that it's given you a lot of endurance. It's given you the ability to just stay with it. When it's boring, when it's difficult, it also gives us um, a place where we can relax and open more we can see more, we can kind of take in more when we're patient. When we're not patient, the mind is constricted, very limited, and there's not very many choices we have, usually. So it keeps us staying open, so that maybe we're able to take the next step on our path whatever that is for us, whatever our aspiration is. Early on in my practice, I heard a story about patience that piqued my interest. It was about during the time of the Buddha, there were certain rules that were laid down for the bhikkhus, the monks who were practicing at that time. Just like we have certain uh, guidelines and rules here, And the guidelines and rules were, are meant and were meant to protect our practice, to help us keep things going in the simplest way possible, to support a sense of ease and safety. So we have until this day uh, the Vinaya that was put together uh, during the Buddha's time, the 227 rules, the code of conduct that covered all facets of living a monastic life. But in the beginning, before that code of conduct was uh, developed to that degree, there was only one rule, and that rule was patience. And even now, uh, 
even after all those 227 rules of conduct are there for the monastics, the bhikkhus and the nuns, the nuns have different rules, less, actually bhikkhunis have more rules, uh, but the uh, the monks have 227 rules. <laughs> But still, patience is the only rule, the, the only rule that's really important, the highest virtue, what the Buddha would say. Patience is a supreme conduct, code of conduct. You hear us talk about our teacher, Sayadaw Upandita, one of our main teachers. He is known as the energy teacher. He, uh, Wiria is one of his main, the main fortress that he lives from and teaches from. And um, he really asks you to put forth a lot of constant energy, a sense of that continuity, which is so important in our practice. He wants us to be balanced in alertness, energy, calmness. And so uh, sometimes it actually took a lot of patience to hear him and to hear his admonishments and to follow them and to really keep our hearts and minds open to what he was saying and to knowing as we live them out that it's true, it's right what he's saying. It's, it's really good that he's giving us these, uh, this advice that he is. I remember the first time that I walked into an interview room, the interview room with him, and this was in Burma, and I think that he could sense, he was very sensitive, just from the way I was walking into the room to do my usual bows and then to report in in the usual way we reported he could tell by just the way i was kind of leaning into the future with my walking just a little like i i wanted to get it over with that's really how i felt (laughs) i wanted to get it over with just read the report and listen to what he said and okay i i i'd be scared to death of giving my report in the in the early years. I got more relaxed later on. But even before I got down to do the usual bows to him, I heard him chant in Pali, which meant in English, patience is a supreme virtue. And I can I can still hear the lilt in his voice. You know, he's very strong and strict but he has a very gentle voice. And when he chants in Pali, when I hear him, it's actually very sweet. So I can hear, even when I'm being impatient now with my own practice, I can hear that, um, that sound that he makes. And I can't remember the exact words in Pali, but I can hear the gentleness and the compassion in his voice. So it's so important to remind ourselves because it has tremendous influence on our spiritual evolvement in our lives and and of course in our daily lives it does. 
if we reflect on how patience has helped us in our lives, we'll see that we wouldn't have gotten to where we are today if it weren't for patience. So we, already, we really already have it. It's just a matter of really acknowledging it and then also acknowledging when we're impatient and seeing if we can somehow <coughs> let go of that and turn towards uh, letting in a little more patience. A lot of times it's helped me through my raising my four adult children now. And luckily, when Steve came into my life was when I was raising the last one, who was a teenager, and I don't know if I could have gotten through without Steve, actually. It, was, it really took a tremendous amount of patience. Um, I was, you know, going into my 50s and that kind of hormonal period, and she was going through her hormonal period, and oh boy, you know, there was a lot of flames and a lot of, you know, fanning the flames with our <laughs> back and forth to each other. And it really made it possible for me to get through that time, just being patient with, with what she was going through, being patient with what I was going through. And it's really, uh, it's really important to maintain harmony, of course. We know that. You've seen it in your lives, with your family, with your loved ones. But it's also important, as we you know, have already maybe blown up or blown it in a way, it's important to restore harmony. There have been times when I, with the children, grown children now, when just out of frustrated anger, and not being able to, uh, you know, renounce uh, any anger in the mind, and it just would come out of the mouth. Uh, <laughs> I, I know a little bit better now, but there were times when I didn't. I didn't have much renunciation, not much strength in that regard. I mean, with four kids, give me a break. It was really hard. <laughs> You know, at one time or another, there were at least three of them that were teenagers, and that was really, it was really challenging. So there were, there were plenty of times when I would blow my top, and then I would just get, you know, instant karma back from them. They would just have their own reaction about it, and then I would just I'd know, okay, this is enough. At least it could stop here. And I would stop and I would just endure what they had to say. Maybe I would have to say something in response to, you know, talk about being a little more respectful and maybe I could be respectful of you too a little more. <laughs> um, but when I could do that, I could see that, okay, I have to be the one, you know, to shine the light here. I have to be the one to be the, the example here. And then I read this somewhere around, along the way. Patience is the ability to let your light shine even after your fuse has blown. <laughs> so remember that. <laughs> it's never too late to bring in patience. I mean, even after we've lost our patience. And so, uh, well, you know, we're all still learning that in our own ways. 
So patience has power, of course, and more about that. But it's, it's always good to look at the other side, too. Impatience has tremendous power. It just has so much power to kill a relationship or, you know, just our own ability to keep going. And just to see how dangerous impatience is in our lives. There's that impatience where we have the habit pattern to just keep revolving our lives around the to-do list. You know, we got to get this done. We got, we just got so much impatience to get this, our, our list done. And because it feels so good to get anything, you know, get a few of those things done on our list. But then it becomes more important than anything else. And I just started to learn from things my children fed back to me that, um, Mom, you're, you're, you're never going to get it done. I mean, you know, I should know this, but they're the ones who are telling me, Mom, it doesn't matter. The dishes are going to be in the sink. You know, just sit down with us now. And I just really have to have patience with the conditions around me and not be just so tight about getting things done around the house, my to-do list, my, my dharma list now is like, never ending. <laughs> you know, it might be that, and I think you are all awake enough to know that even if you're in the Dharma, we have so many things to do. It's just with all the different places that we're involved with, it's, it's just endless how many emails we have to write and um, how many um, plane reservations we have to make and we just have to sometimes just stop and really be patient with the whole thing and just stop sometimes and just can't do anymore. There was a time when um, we, Steve and I realized this early on in our uh, Dharma relationship that we just couldn't finish everything and so we, we really just had to make a time to stop we just had to be patient with the whole thing. And we said, when the sun goes down, when it's starting to go down, there's a, a kind of a little habit that we have in Maui that when the sun starts to go down, you stop and you look at the sunset. And um, you'll see people stopped all over the road, you know, when the sun starts to go down below the horizon. And you just stop and you look at the sunset. So it became easier to just make more space for breathing, for living, for loving, for being with one another. So it's another way that our impatience has tremendous power over us to get things done. It robs us of our ability to really be present with our friends, with our environment, with ourselves when we we just let impatience kind of live our lives for us. I've always loved this one uh, by Georgia O'Keeffe. It, it really so, so touches my heart and reminds me all the time. She says, still, in a way, nobody sees a flower. Really, it is so small, and we haven't time. 
and to see takes time, like to have a friend takes time. I think that's why she painted so many big flowers, you know? So even amidst the beauty that uh, we're fortunate enough to live in, I have to really stop myself sometimes and say, okay, instead of rushing from upstairs to downstairs where I have to go outside to the office, just stop and take a look at something beautiful. Just stop and really take it in and really be patient with give myself space for a few moments. So patience is giving oneself space to live, to really understand what it is to be a human being, to take in the beauty around us and to be mindful of that, of course, and then to let that balance out in some way, help that to balance all the difficulties we have to face. So when we're not rushing, when we've got patience in our lives, we can, we can have a little more strength, a little more space in our lives. We may not realize how much of the time we're leaning into the future, going in with a forward tilt in life. And sometimes, of course, we have to do it. And we can do it mindfully. And sometimes we have to rush. One time I, I um, called Manindraji on it. You know, he was in retreat. He was telling us to slow down all the time, to um, be mindful as we're going slower. But I would see him rushing, you know. And then he, would, he could be pretty fast. I mean, I, I've walked with him in, in different places and in India, too. And sometimes I could not keep up with him. You know, he'd be in his 70s, and he would be going really, really fast. And I said, Manindraji, what about going slow? You know, my, about slowing down. And, and I was kind of judgmental about him going fast, you know. And he said to me, Mindfulness doesn't mean slow. You can be mindful when you're going fast. So just to, just to put that in, it's not bad to go fast, but sometimes we're not really even present. We're just, our minds are someplace else while our feet are on the earth and we don't even know it. So just to be able to relax and enjoy where we are, um, and then we can see more, we can understand more, we can be more mindful, really. I have a, a friend who's 95 now, Alexandra, and she s- reminds me, if we're not in the now, we're in the ow. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really hurts when we're not in the now, when we're not in the present moment. There's a story of a young boy who traveled to Japan and he wanted to attend the school of a famous martial artist. And when he arrived, he asked to uh, have an audience with the sensei, the teacher. So he got to be with the teacher and he said uh, he wanted to really practice hard. And so the teacher said, well, what do you want from me? And the student said, I wish to be your student and become the finest karateka uh, in the whole land. 
martial artist in the whole land. How long must I study for this? And the martial artist master said, 10 years at least. What if I study twice as hard as all your other students? 20 years, replied the master. (laughs) 20 years, what if I practice day and night with all my effort? 30 years, was the master's reply. And then he asked, the young boy asked, how is it that each time I say I will work harder, you tell me that it will take longer? And the answer is clear, said the teacher. When one eye is fixed upon your destination, there is only one eye left with which to find the way. Not really being fully present. So in the evening, um, you recite the the sayings, the quotes about the ten virtuous qualities called the paramis. And patience is one of them, the last one on my list, the long-enduring mind and heart. And it's because of patience that all of the others can get developed, because we have patience. So you might say it is one of the most important ones. I mean, you could, you could have a story about any one of them are, is the most important. But really, when you look at the whole list, patience allows all the others time and space to develop fully, beautifully. In the early years of practice, I would hear teachings and not understand them. I would hear teachings about uh, the not-self characteristic, anatta. I would hear stories about and, and teachings about the Four Noble Truths and dependent origination. And I'd be so hungry for the Dhamma that I'd be impatient about understanding them. I'd ask all kinds of questions that would just kind of twist my mind up in knots because um, I was getting too much information. And luckily, you know, Manindra was there. He was very patient. He was the one that could go on and on and talk about the Dharma until the last person in the room would leave. Um, And so I would hear a lot from him, and I wouldn't understand. Sometimes I would connect the dots, and sometimes I couldn't. I was in my 20s then. And one time I was very frustrated with with it in saying, I really don't understand what it's all about. I have the faith to keep going, but I didn't understand, and I would be impatient with wanting it now, wanting to understand it now. And he was the one who told me in the very beginning that, you know, your experience is going to fit in to something you hear. You're going to hear it and then you won't know what it's about. Then sometime you're going to experience it, and you will then understand it. And you could hear it from anywhere. I I remember that I didn't understand anatta for a long time, the um, not-self-characteristic. And one time I was at a retreat, and there was a talk given on... um, the five aggregates of clinging, which is about anatta. And it was by someone, you know, not a well-known teacher. 
And that teacher just gave the teaching, just read from the Buddha's teaching, and all of a sudden, everything came together for me in that. And it wasn't really like I had an internal experience of it. I, I want to make that clear. I really understood it more intellectually than I ever understood it before. And it was because I just had patience just hearing. I must have heard it then, by that time, at least 10 times. I must have heard that Dhamma talk. And finally, I, I heard that one. And I wasn't even you know, trying to understand. It just clicked by, by some of small experiences I had, but not a huge experience, but a lot of small experiences that I had about how you know, body is not self, perception is not self, pleasant feeling is not self, knowing is not self, intentions are not self. And I realized, oh, some of those have been experienced a little bit. And so they were verifi- it was verifiable for me. So there was this willingness to wait. And the patience really helped. I still had a lot of questions about what's this and what's that. But even now, you know, I'm just realizing, oh, I can wait. I'm, I'm realizing that more and more. This, this one is from Rilke, this quote, be patient toward all that is unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers that cannot be given because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now, and perhaps you will gradually, without noticing it, live along someday into the answer. So I think we can, whatever questions we have that we don't understand something, we we can just be patient, just know that we have that question. Information comes, inner information, outer information, and we connect the dots somehow. You know, there's one dot that we connect, and all of a sudden it, it makes a picture that we can see more clearly. So it's, it really helps us to just take one step at a time, um, fall back on patience over and over again. So I'll hear that, that little lilting, that gentle lilting voice that Upandita would have when he would chant, patience is the highest virtue, when I know that I'm being impatient. There was one time when I was going through a lot of um, pain, but it wasn't like um, I could pinpoint the pain on anything. It wasn't, you know, it's so easy when you have something to blame. You know, it's about there's the food isn't good enough, or the there's too much noise, or um, I'm not good enough. There, it's always good when there's something like that. It's kind of easier. But when there's this kind of existential pain, and you you just feel the pain of life, but you can't pinpoint it on anything, it's really hard then. And I remember going through 
the first one of my times when I was going through that. And there was this monk who was teaching, or um, yeah, he was teaching, but also translating with Upandita. He was a Nepalese monk, and Unyanaponika. Um, and I remember going and I was making the report actually to Upandita, and he was doing the translating. And I was saying that I, I really couldn't stay. I just had so much impatience that I wanted to leave the retreat. I couldn't stay in the retreat anymore. It was, um, it was too painful, and I couldn't stay with the pain. I just had too, I didn't have patience to be with it. Other things too, but patience was a good, a major factor. And so, Uniyanaponika, um, I remember him getting up. Upandita was sitting here. Uniyanaponika was sitting there. He got up and he started walking. And he said, oh, there's so much pain in the world. There's so much pain in the world. And then I heard Sera Upandita say something, and he started to translate. And I really don't think that he translated this from Upandita, because Upandita would never say what I heard, I don't think. <laughs> and so Unyanaponika said to me, because I was talking about, especially in walking, I feel this pain, uh, pain of my heart, pain of the world that I can't pinpoint anywhere. So he said, whenever you're walking and you feel that pain, just stop and bend down and pull up your socks and come up again and start again. And I really just, I said, okay, you know, I, I, I was... I was, yeah, I, I was maybe in my early 30s or my late 20s then, and I thought, okay, I thought, well, that was the voice from heaven, you know. <laughs> that was really the, the, highest, the highest instruction I could ever get. And now I know, you know, that was a good instruction, because that's what I did, actually. And to this very day, when I'm walking, you know, especially when I'm walking in Burma and I'm doing, you sit, actually you sit in the hall and you get up from right there and you walk right next to your, on the side of the hall. And then you sit down, you do your sitting and you get up and you walk. And so they keep you really, you know, continuous. But when, when I can't take it anymore, I just take a break and I bend down <laughs> mindfully and I pull up my socks and then I get up again, and I'm really slow, you know, just so I can take space, and I start all over again. <laughs> so maybe you'll do that, <laughs> too. <laughs> so why did the Buddha say it was the highest virtue? Uh, because, as I said before, it's because it's needed to actualize all the other qualities. For example, you know, in equanimity, patience is a big part of equanimity. In fact, one way in India that they translate the word for equanimity is to see with patience. To see with patience. That's how they translate the word for equanimity. It's like, you know, seeing your, your, your grandchildren. That's um, one of the examples they give that when, when you're with your children, 
um, you don't see with as much patience. <laughs> but when you've got grandchildren, it's, it's true. You know, I see with my own grandchildren. When they're naughty, uh, I have a lot more patience with them than their own parents do, my, my children and their spouses. And um, so to see with patience, this is uh, really part of equanimity. It gives us that quiet, long-enduring strength to just keep going, to just keep going. And there's going to be plenty of times in your practice that you're going to need that, that you'll try compassion and it won't work. You'll do, you'll go to equanimity, you know, just go to a phrase, this is how it is right now, and, you know, it's just words to you. But when you can fall back on some habit pattern that you have already developed about being patient, then it will get you through that time and to the end of your path. Sometimes I hear from, also from Upandita, the path to Nibbana is paved with patience. The path to full awakening is paved with patience. It's a major part of loving kindness. Um, and that part that I can really attune to is when, you know, when we're really patient with ourselves, we really have that sense that we're befriending ourselves. And that's loving kindness. It's really being a friend to ourselves. We really can have a sense that we're, we're caring. We're really caring. Patience is caring. It's a loving kindness part of patience that cares for ourselves and cares for others because we know when we're impatient, it's hurtful to others. It's it, it, some of the biggest hurts that I've had in my life is when I felt impatience from others and not really understanding where I'm coming from, not giving me room to be myself, to be who I am. So we know that when we care for ourselves, a lot comes out of that. When we care for others, a lot comes out of that. A lot of deep friendliness, a lot of um, ability to keep going because we know that love carries us. Patience is love. We know that that carries us, and that's what gets us through that deep caring for ourselves. That's what help others helps others get through that long, enduring, caring, relaxed heart. So uh, patience with the conditions around us. This is really important, especially in retreat. There are so many conditions that in different retreat centers and different groups of people that come together, so many conditions that we have to be patient with. It's not, you know, we're really fortunate here that it, it's a beautiful place. It's a quiet place. You know, apart from some things that we have to endure in this retreat center, it's basically one of the best retreat centers that Steve and I teach at of all the retreat centers that we teach at. So you're very lucky to be in this place. And uh, the care that's put here is just tremendous. 
and you folks that come here, you know, you you bring that strength and that beauty and that caring here and with you and, and make it the place of beauty that it is. But there are times when the conditions aren't so beautiful or perfect. And, you know, I always love it when I read the, the registration forms, the questionnaires, and I hear that people, I read that people have been to Burma, as Steve was describing, I think, last night. Because then I'll know that that person will really appreciate this place because they've been to places where conditions aren't exactly the best. And you learn patience there in those other places. Steve was absolutely right, and more. I was going to remind him of some other things when he was talking last night, but I thought, well, enough. That's enough. Um, the last time I was in Burma, there it was. it's beautiful at night, and I love the evenings and the early mornings because it's cool. And um, at night, it's very, very quiet, and also in the morning. And so the daytime can be quite noisy, you know, people going around. Steve said people would come in the hall. Imagine someone coming in the hall when we're sitting and just fixing the flowers, you know? I mean, we would think that's really, that's terrible if somebody would do that. I mean, that would be really stupid. <laughs> um, but people do that, and you just have to, that's the way it is there. You just have to have a lot of patience with it. Sometimes people come in, and they, they take your picture. You know, you're sitting there, and they stay, they're right in front of you, and you know, it's even more than one sometimes, and especially if you're a foreigner, and they take your picture, and the flash goes off, and everything, <laughs> and they're talking to one another, and then, you know, I mean, I one time I even opened my eyes a little bit to see, and they said, in their broken English, don't open eyes, don't open eyes. <laughs> they, they wanted to picture of me with closed eyes. <laughs> so I said, oh God, whatever, you know. I'm in Burma, okay. This last time I was there, there was, all of a sudden, they started to, um, this rock chopping machine happened. It was like rocks were going into this big thing and they were making gravel out of it. I learned later that that's what it was. It was, the noise level was out of, out of control. It was out of sight. I never had been around that much noise here except during the clear cutting many years ago <laughs> where they, they clear cut the land right next to us. The noise level was tremendous. And we were just all sitting there, and um, and people were just okay with it, you know. That I I went during the time when the Burmese were sitting, so it was lovely. I sat with all the Burmese ladies. The women are separated from the men. So I was one of the, I, yeah, I was one of two foreigners there, and so they were all, you know, just sitting there, and I was wondering what in the world is going on. So I went to the back where I had two Burmese ladies friend, lady friends. And so, you know, you talk a little bit there, and it's, it's cool, you know, you don't talk so much. But I went, I approached them and I said, what's going on? 
and I was just so impatient. You know, I wanted to go to the office and to tell them to go next door and tell them to stop all that. And the Burmese lady said, oh, um, there, there's a family, you know, that's doing that in the nearby town. And it, it's the only time they can do that. And that's the way they can make some extra money. And, you know, all of a sudden, knowing that information, I just, my mind just got a little more spacious around it. It was still hard to hear all of that. But at least I understood. Sometimes a little understanding brings some patience. So that helped. My mind and heart got a little more open. And I had a better response to it all. And then there was a time, a couple of retreats before that, also in Burma, where um, I really had to be patient with one yogi in particular, and then also myself. After, um, after you sit in the morning, and after you sit uh, early in the morning, and then later you come back and you sit again, and then in the afternoon, for breakfast and lunch, we all have to get in a line and we have to walk very mindfully in a line to the dining hall, which is almost 1,000 steps from our hall to the dining hall. You can tell I had time to count <laughs> with my impatient mind. How many steps is this? And so um, I was sort of at the beginning of the line. There were a few people in front of me. And then... Um, of course, all the nuns, and then the lay people, and I was a lay person in the lay person's line, and a lot of lay women behind me. The woman that was in front of me would decide to stop every single time, slowly get down and get her shoes, slowly bring her shoes up, slowly bring them outside, stop in front of the doorway, put her shoes down, slowly put them on. And the whole time, you know, this long line is waiting in the back. And in the beginning, I would feel like screaming, you know. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. And say, and or tap her and say, can you please step aside, you know. <laughs> so, but I just waited and waited. And I, it took many times of seeing the notes I was going to write to her, you know, and okay, Kamala, just be patient. And uh, the, I would tell, I was going to tell the proctor in the hall, or tell the teacher, you know, or tell the office to tell everybody to put <laughs> step aside, to put on your shoes. Sometimes I would, she would be putting on her shoes slowly, and I would, you know, go beside her a little bit, just go around her, and I would take my shoes and I would say, see. See, put them to the side. I would try to kind of act it out, you know. Uh, I'm just giving you a reality check. Even the teachers go through this. So, no, no, there was no, till the very end of the retreat, she did that same thing. So I just had to learn how to be patient with her. And I had all these kind of, oh gosh, she doesn't, at the end of the retreat she talked to me and I totally loved her, you know, she was really a sweet person. But during that time I learned a lot of patience 
I learned that I didn't have the patience that I thought I had. And, uh, you know, just with self you a lot of other things come up, a sense of self-righteousness, you see the projections, that a lot of things you can be mindful of when there's impatience there. Learning patience, you learn a lot of things about yourself. So, in Burma, at least in Burma, we know that the template for practice is to take a period of time each year for intensive retreat. The people who have the resources to do this can do this. Um, you know, one month, two months, three months. And then to spend the rest of the year working on a parami. And usually when I ask people, what, what parami are you working on? I either hear one of two things. They're either working on generosity or patience. And it's pretty universal, you know, that because patience helps all the other paramis too. And it's interesting for us as we see, you know, we're in the Dharma, see other people a lot, and um, see people as in our role as teachers. And we a lot of times can see when people come in and their paramis are so ripe, meaning that, you know, a lot of natural paramis, a lot of paramis have been naturally developed, that it's easier for them to deepen in the Dharma. And um, there, there is a saying something like that, you know, when somebody has kind of deepened in the Dharma very quickly, the kind of response around us from our elders are that, oh, their paramis were ripe, their paramis were ripe. So patience is a really important part of it. Um, I remember hearing an interview of His Holiness the Dalai Lama when uh, somebody was asking him about his apparent lack of anger and his obvious patience with the situation of his motherland of Tibet. And the interviewer said, your land has been taken your resources and your people have been gravely hurt. And kind of questioning him, you know, like what, what's his response to this? And he said, they've taken this all. Should I let them take my mind as well? You know, so it's like that when you, it's like you just let them have the anger of your mind, and it's like they've won, really. He says, when it is said that one should be patient and withstand trouble, that doesn't mean that one should be defeated or overcome. The very purpose of engaging in the practice of patience is to become stronger in mind and heart. And also, you can remain calm. In that atmosphere of calm, you can develop wisdom. If you lose patience, if your mind flounders by emotions, then you've lost the ability to see clearly. But if you're patient from a basis of altruism, then you don't have to lose the strength of mind. You even increase your strength. So patience isn't weak. It's strong. It's very strong. And I don't want to diminish the, the patience that's in my own heart. I, I, I give you these stories so you get a reality check that it's really hard. 
but I've had to have a lot of patience going through my own practice and really being able to just allow things to come up and just to flow with it and not to push back or try to, you know, push the waters back when they needed to just flow on. And that way I could see that patience is like a gentle flowing strength. It's, it's, continu- it's continuously flowing with whatever else is flowing. It doesn't try to dam up your energy to, you know, stop everything and just hold your breath. But it can flow with what's happening. And that's a way when I have felt patience and have felt it a lot in my practice, I felt that it can flow with what's going on. Um, a lot of it, too, comes with equanimity, and this is the way it is. It's described as non-opposition, not pushing against things, but really just letting it flow. So another um, quality of impatience is related to grasping if you can see it in your own practice, how you want your practice to be something more than it is. We, we know this for ourselves as yogis. Um, or we don't want it to be like it is, which is just the other side of the coin of grasping. Early on in practice, of course, like all of us, I had unrealistic expectations. I wanted it to, you know, that beginner's luck of just feeling that peacefulness in the very first days of times of retreat. I wanted it to be like that all the time, but it isn't, you know. It, it, it doesn't deepen by just having peace all the time. It, that calm allows us to be with the rough times. So I thought I'd just be quieter and quieter, but it wasn't getting that way. And Manindra would, would be saying, no, your practice is really deepening because you're opening to dukkha. You're opening to pain, uh, the, the truth of pain, the truth of suffering. But I would say I'm not being a good yogi. You know, I'd have that kind of yogi mind that just makes everything bigger than it is. And I'm not good enough. I'm not doing well enough. And we get this um, kind of sickness once in a while, temporary insanity, I call it, called yogi mind. (laughs) Steve defined it this way. So I'm sure you'll, you'll find a way to know it in yourselves. The magnification of the trivial and insignificant to a crisis stage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It just becomes a big deal that you don't have, like when I first started doing the eight precepts, that I didn't have the protein or that I didn't have the calories that I needed in the afternoon. Um, But then I realized, for my body, I realized I did fine. I did okay. I lived. And actually, it was better. Uh, I didn't have to do all that digesting in the afternoon. One time I went to Manindra saying, I'm not a good yogi. 
I had a lot of discouragement. I'm a terrible yogi. It was the end of the world to me. And he said, it's on account of your impatience. On account of your impatience. So that's the way he would talk. And I could hear his Indian voice say, on account of your impatience, it's, this is why you're having the kind of response you are to your practice. It's better to go, when we feel like this, it's better to um, take short moments many times. You know, just look at our practice, like pulling up the socks, just doing that, just taking a step, just taking a breath, and just being there with just one in-breath, just one out-breath. I used to, sometimes, in the beginning of practice, I would stand at the beginning of my walking space and say it was here, to the end of the opening here, and I would say, perfect mindfulness from here to there. And of course, it would never turn out, you know. And so I'd get wise, and I would say, okay, I'm going to be as mindful as I can from here to that little leaf that's right there. And then I'd get there, you know, and maybe it'd be a little bit of wavering, but it'd be good enough. And then from there, I'd say, okay, just a little bit further. And I'd pick a little rock in the, just there. And then I'd go from there to there. And that would get me through. Not these big steps like I'd get through from here to there, or get through the sitting, or get through the walking period, or the whole retreat. So short moments many times is much better than just feeling like you have to get through. One time I went to Manindra and I was feeling like I was not making any progress at all. And he leaned back in his chair and he just said, you know, which I thought with a little bit of impatience in his voice <laughs> to me, but probably just admonishment. He said, when the fruit is ripe, it will fall from the tree. Like, you, you just can't... You just can't force it. It just has its own. The conditions come together. And of course, we learn along the way. You, you give it energy. You, you water the, the plants of your practice. You water the seeds of your practice. You, you know, give it the light of mindfulness. Um, all of that stuff. And when the fruit is ripe, when the conditions come together, it will fall from the tree. You can't force it to happen. I remember one time a close, somebody very close to me, um, I wanted him, this was a long time ago, I wanted him to really be in the Dharma with me and to be on the path with me. And so um, I would ask him to come with me to retreats and to listen to Dharma talks, you know, when somebody was speaking and he told me very, in a very compassionate way, you know, having compassion for where I was feeling, and I, it made me have a lot of understanding and passion for him. He said, don't pull my petals open. Mm-hmm. It was like he was telling me, I'm not ready. I'm not where you were at. And it was like I was trying to pull them open too fast for him.
flowers unfold slowly and gently, bit by bit, in the sunshine. And a heart, too, must never be pushed or driven, but unfold in its own perfect timing to reveal its true wonder and beauty. That's uh, from the Findhorn Garden on a tea box. I found that. (laughs) So patience is really so important in our practice. I hope that you can find a way that you can make space for, you know, that ability for an intelligent response to come because we're more patient. That response that His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, they've taken everything, why should I let them take the mind, my mind as well. When we're patient, we can see that. The quality of gentle flowing river, you know, the quality of constancy, just letting life flow and being present with it. From that, a lot lot opens up. A lot of deepening in our practice takes place. Balance of mind that comes with equanimity, the patience that is interwoven with equanimity, spacious balance, that can come about through just inclining our minds towards patience. Sometimes we don't have patience, really, when we look inside, but we can just say, okay, just wait, just wait, and just kind of let things settle, let the dust settle, let the water settle, we can see clearly after that. So this is from a Chinese proverb to end with. Patience is power. With time and patience, the mulberry leaf becomes silk. So with patience, we can just let the conditions come together, the main one being mindfulness. And things, our practice deepens. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.